Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I just like to see my my everyone succeed, and I felt like if if everyone succeeded, then I would succeed myself. That was former Gonzaga standout and NBA player Rob Sacre. He's today's guest. Welcome to Dan Dickow's Quarantine Series on the Scorebook Live Today podcast. As the world, particularly the world of sports, is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis, Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free, and while you're there, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states, more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. And Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to WFDBank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's WAFDBank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dickow. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live Washington. Our quarantine series continues where I bring a conversation with you from an expert in the world of sports, whether it's a coach, a player, a broadcaster today. He's a little bit of everything. I don't think you can kind of pigeonhole this man into being (laughs) one particular thing. It is none other than former Gonzaga great Rob Sacre. Rob, you're back in the Spokane area after a lengthy professional career. How was life for you in Spokane? Summertime in the 509, man. I can't complain. Life is good. Uh, it's it's good to be home. It's good to be around the family. I The wife has given me a lot of projects. You know how that is during this COVID time. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying myself and um, just enjoying being home with the fam. You know, you're a unique um player for me when I look at your career for for a number of reasons and I think the biggest uniqueness about you when I watched you from from a distance uh, while I was still finishing my playing career is you always had a team first mentality Um, and then getting to know you after I was done playing I moved to the Spokane area you started spending summers here Um, that always was something that I really respected about you and I found refreshing where did that team first mentality come from you? Was there for you? Was there a coach in your upbringing? Uh, was it your athletic background with your mom and dad having both been high level athletes? Where'd that come from? 
That's actually, I, you know what? I've never heard that question before, but um, I really respect it because I really do take pride. And, and looking back at my career, sometimes I wish I had been more selfish than as a team guy. But um, I just like to see my, my everyone succeed. And I felt like if, if everyone succeeded, then I would succeed myself. And so I think um, that's how I looked at it in that type of mindset. If we can all succeed, everybody get touches, feels, you know, all that type of stuff, doing the little things, I think that's what ends up winning games, right? Absolutely. It all comes down to each member of a team doing the little things to, to, to get yourself in position for a win. You are someone who didn't grow up in a traditional basketball setting. And, and I say this because you grew up in Canada, in North Vancouver, BC. And, and Canada's become a basketball hotbed. Tons of NBA players uh, over the last 15, 20 years have started to come down from Canada. Um, but about 15 years or so ago, when you would have been kind of in your formative years as a basketball player, the emphasis wasn't quite there as it is here in the States of, of continual training, focus on, hey, what AAU team am I playing on? You know, where am I being ranked? How would you describe your basketball upbringing in Canada? You know, it was, uh, that's a, a good question because when I first moved to Canada from Louisiana, the Grizzlies were still there. So it, the, it was a huge impact in the city of basketball. And actually, when I first got to Vancouver, basketball was really thriving at that moment in time. And then once the Grizzlies left, it was like someone had just shut the curtains, closed the doors, everything was just cut off all of a sudden. So you, you, the people that were still fans um, were getting, you know, they felt the impact really big time because they enjoyed the games, they enjoyed going to Grizzly games, they enjoyed go the NBA atmosphere. And the NBA had brought so much basketball into the city that it was uh, – really impactful for my age group. And I think um, it, it really has affected basketball in BC as of these later years. I don't think they play as much as we used to, but maybe that's a generational thing. I'm not sure. Um, but it, I really just took uh, the, my idea of being focused on, I wanted to be one of the first people out of Vancouver to go to the NBA. That was one of my goals. And uh, I really was set on that from as soon as I saw the NBA guys come into town. So I, I was driven and it, it really kept me motivated throughout my whole high school career. We'll touch on your NBA career um, later on in the conversation, but to go from Vancouver, BC to get to Gonzaga, uh, that's a heck of a jump. Um, and I think it is for, for any high school kid, whether you're playing for, for a national power like an Oak Hill or, or a Finley Prep in Vegas, but you've got to make a jump from Canada to the States. What was that transitional period like for you um, in, in coming over to the States and then getting yourself ready to play at a high-level Division One program? Uh, I always use this metaphor. Basketball is like driving, right? So – for when you're 
first learning to drive, it's like high school basketball. You're driving on like back roads, dirt roads, you're just trying to figure parking lots. You're trying to figure out the car and everything. You're trying to figure out your body. It's similar to that. Everything is you're just trying to figure out all these things. Once you get to the next level, which is college, I think that's like driving in town, you know, driving into a little, a little town. And then once you, and you know this, you, you, you have to learn things. Things are a little bit more faster. You know, you have to adapt a little bit quicker. Uh, there's, there's more, um, there's more pressure to be, you know, more pressure behind you. And, and you also know, once you get to that next level, the professional level, it's like getting on the 405 in, in Seattle, you know what I mean? It's fast. Everything's going. You're making quick decisions. You know, you don't want to get in an accident. You want to do all these things. You have to make quick blink decisions. So um, I think that was the biggest key for me was how to make that transition. And it, it took me, I think, two years to really develop at Gonzaga to really understand that transition. I love that analogy of driving versus the levels of, of basketball. Uh, I've never heard that before, and I'm going to have to steal that, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. <laughs> you know, well, it's the truth, because if you think about it, like when you're first playing basketball, you're, you're, it's like driving. You're uncomfortable. You're tense. You're nervous. You don't want to miss a shot. And then over time, you know, you, you start getting more comfortable, and then you start expanding out, and that's the same with basketball, right? So – if Gonzaga is kind of a, a small town, Coach Few mm-hmm. must be the mayor uh, of that small town. What is, uh, what's a big life lesson maybe that you learned from Coach Few over the course of your five years at Gonzaga? It took me probably when I was, I'd say, 28 to figure it out. And the biggest key was not to be a victim. And I never understood him when he said that at the point in time when he was coaching us. But don't play the victim because no one wants to hear that. You you want to – what can I do to get better? What All you need to do is focus on yourself and, and how do I need to do – what I need to do to improve to be successful. And I think Coach Few really instills that in his players of don't don't – do the woe is me and life is tough and everything like that. He doesn't listen to all that. He's about, you know, how do I improve? What, how can I get better? What do I need to do and not feel sorry for yourself? Because I think, and Dan, you know, this best is there's a lot of guys that want to blame the coach or want to blame the environment or some other things when they, all they need to do is just play basketball. And let their basketball speak for themselves, right? Yeah, that that is something that, uh, you know, looking back quickly on conversations I've had with Coach Few, you know, memories or, or things, the conversations we have had absolutely brings back lessons like uh, what you just shared from Coach Few. During your five years at, at Gonzaga, you guys had a tremendous amount of success, but you didn't make it to a Final Four like they have in the last couple of years. I look at my couple-year run here at Gonzaga not getting to quite to the peak that we thought we could have been or we wanted to, to get to. But knowing that I was a part of building the program up, you were a part of building the program up during your years, other guys like Santangelo and, and Calvary and different guys were, how much pride do you have in this program 
that they have gotten to the level that they have where maybe next year they're a preseason number one ranked team? It, it there's tons of pride. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's it, you know when I was coming up, I I knew about you guys, but I really didn't know much about you guys. Now everyone knows about Gonzaga. So it, to hear that and know that and know that around the country, it's 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 impressive, you know. Impressive is true, and that's something that the the program uh, has really um, carved out a unique niche across the country, and it's been spearheaded by Coach Few. But after your time at Gonzaga, you were able to to carve out a four year NBA career with the Lakers. Um, you know, you did it through some of the characteristic traits that we talked about earlier in the conversation that you were such a team oriented kind of guy, but you also had to grind. You had to work at it. You had to, to, to perform when your opportunities came at what point early in your career, did you start to become comfortable in that NBA setting? When I knew I could play with those guys, um, especially in practice when I started seeing myself perform and improve and do the things that I was like, Hey, I can, I can play at the highest level anywhere, you know? And, um, I was very fortunate to be able to play with hall of famers. My, my first year with Nash, Kobe, uh, Powell, Metal World Peace, Antoine Jameson. I had real, I had a lot of great veterans and, uh, Steve Blake, a lot of good, uh, former player and, and just great vets and Hall of Famers to the point where I learned the professionalism and how to carry yourself and Dwight. Dwight was on that team as well. And, and I could see that, hey, guess what? You know, they're not as fast as me or something like that. I, I can fit into this. I can do this. And so, like I said earlier, the thing that I, I think I'm most, uh, if I had any regrets in my life, I would say I wish I had been more selfish as an uh, individual player for the fact that I wish I went for those numbers sometimes than actually just box out. You know what I mean? Like do the little, yeah. just the little things that, and, and, and you know this best too is I think that if you're on a team that wins and my first year we were supposed to win and be that team but if you're on a team that wins individual stats don't really matter as much in the professional it's about winning at that point but if you're on a team that's not so successful it's a it's a slippery slope of how people get real um they want to just get theirs you know what i mean so it's my unfortunately my four years in LA especially coming to last two years they became more like I have to go get mine and sometimes I think I didn't go and get mine like I should have but I learned from it and I used that mentality when I went to Japan became a two-time all-star top 10 in scoring top 10 in rebounding did all that after learning my lesson in the NBA and it really helped me out in the, my further career overseas that's a refreshing viewpoint because, you know, I've had similar thoughts and I've said those comments to, to friends in, in, in different settings when we're talking about professional sports and how things work. 
but the average person doesn't actually sit back and actually realize it. They, they, you know, there's, there's a couple parts of growing to know that you belong. There's parts in becoming uh, a part of a winning team. There's parts of needing to put up the numbers to then further your own career. And if you can kind of put those things all together, you, you have a chance to carve out a 10, 12 year career when you might not be as talented as another player, but you right. figure it out, you put it all together. And you mentioned some really good players. Uh, Steve Blake's a good friend of mine, Pau Gasol, some of these other guys, but you played with Kobe Bryant. Right. And uh, we all know the unfortunate uh, accident that happened this spring. Um, but what was Kobe like on a day-to-day watching him prepare, watching him work, watching him compete? Because I view him as one of the all-time greats because of his competitiveness, his drive, and his work ethic. Extremely intense all the time. And, you know, he's human, obviously. There's good days and bad days, but he just had this intensity, especially when he got onto the court. There was no... There was no joking around. I've never – I joked around with him, but there was no joking around with him on the court because it – and the best way to joke around with him was to talk trash to him. And that's what I was always good at, and that's what I could – but, like, to talk trash – I would always call him old and all these other things that I love poking that bear, and I love to see that intensity. And we'd go – I told him I'd never want to play on his team when it came to – when we'd have scrimmages, I said, I don't want to be on your team. I don't need you to win. And he loved that. But I respect that about him. And he brought an intensity that when we didn't have him, you could feel the practice was different, you know. You mentioned the, the trash talking back and forth. And you're a guy that's got a big, loud, mm-hmm. outgoing personality. You're not one to shy away from, from expressing your thoughts. Is there one maybe trash talking experience that you didn't necessarily have to be involved with it with Kobe? Maybe you observed Kobe going after somebody that just made you shake your head and laugh. There was numerous times he's he's taking people down off their pedestal. Let's just say that he just sometimes he can get a little overboard, or he you know he'd get a little overboard and say some crazy stuff. But that's just he would. That was his competitive drive on and off the court. So he, if, even if he wanted to like, get in an argument with you, his whole point was to win that argument. That was his competitiveness. So he would want to win, whether it's an argument, whether I've seen him play catch football and they had to catch with one hand and it, it escalated to where they're – like firing the football in a conference dining room. It was just crazy. So I think just his whole competitiveness throughout his life made him so successful, and that's what drove him. And that trash talking was another way for him to be competitive because he would always want to win with that trash talking as well. I love competitiveness. I love hearing stories of guys, you know, not giving an inch and and battling to win and, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I'll just throw one little jab at you before I move on to the last question. Um, you know, that's kind of like us playing ping pong, you know, right. I mean, <laughs> we could talk a little bit, but I don't think you're we, ever gonna we were talking funny, funny story. We were just talking about you this weekend. Uh, 
yeah, we're, we'll talk about that this summer for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have you over to the house once, uh, once things loosen up with the restrictions a little mm-hmm. bit. But you go from playing with the Lakers for four years and you do it as a lot of players do and you want to extend your career. You go overseas. Some guys go to Europe, Australia. You decided to go to Japan where you had tremendous success. A couple-time All-Star, uh, a very good player. But every guy that goes over – sees to play has a story or two that you will share it with somebody and that person won't understand it unless they themselves played in Europe or overseas because of the experiences they had, whether it's paycheck not showing up in your bank account, whether that's a car giving you or the team, giving you a car that doesn't work, uh, whatever it may be. Do you have a story that can stand out and kind of provide a little bit of uh laughter to our viewers about your time in Japan? Yeah. There, everyone, you, you and I both know, everyone's complaining about this COVID stuff and how they're stir crazy being locked in their house. Well, that's being overseas for 10 months out of the year. <laughs> you know, like that's really what it is. Like as a, a player that plays overseas, you pretty much wake up depending on what your practice schedule looks like. You wake up, go to practice, go back to your apartment. There's really nothing else to do because you got to do that the next day and the next day and the next day. And you, there's no, it's great to go look at stuff and, you know, be a tourist around the town and stuff like that. But at the same time, you don't want to walk. Your legs are tired. You don't want to burn your legs out. You know you've got a bunch of games coming up. You're not trying to do all that. So all you do is just sit in your house and watch movies, do the whole, like, YouTube thing. And I started reading a lot more books. So for me, this whole – I just look at it like COVID. It was like being during COVID time. You were on lockdown, basically, until your team needed you to do something. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard – a similarity between current times of needing to stay home a lot and, and, and an experience overseas playing. Cause you know, looking at it quickly, that does rem- remind me of a lot of the similarities like, okay, well, you're going to go out once today to practice. It's going to be four hours groceries on the way home. Right. Practice would always be structured at a time where you couldn't do anything else the rest of the day. Right. Right. And so then you just, like our practice was like smack dab at like two thirty in the day, so you didn't you didn't want to do anything in the beginning in the morning to burn your legs out, and you don't want to do anything at night. So how? What do you want to do? You just hang out in your apartment. You know, everyone is asleep over on this side of the world, so you can't really talk to anybody. You know, you're just isolated. Everyone else in the whole city or country you live in can't speak English so there's nobody to talk to you know so it was really that's why this COVID thing this lockdown isn't that difficult for me because I'm home and I have everything I've wanted and I have everything I need at my house so this is easy you know last question Rob before I let you go and and you're somebody who developed a heck of a network of friends and relationships in Spokane while you were at Gonzaga University. You finished your playing career. You decided, hey, Spokane's the place for me and my family. I want to live here. Um, what would you say to, to young high school student athletes about developing a relationship 
um, to be able to lean on those net relationships later on to, to guide you um, and help you through experiences? You know, that's a great question because as an 18 year old, you don't realize, first of all, the impact you have on a lot of people in the community around you. You don't think an 18 year old has an impact on a 40 year old man, but he does. And I think a lot of young players, and I see it at Gonzaga, and especially now working at GU, I see it. And, um, a lot of young guys, you don't realize the possibilities of networking and where that can go and how you can make that grow and the possibilities of where the world could be for you, not after basketball, because you're so locked in on basketball at that moment in time. So you're not really focused on what am I going to do after basketball? But the realistic thing is you need to focus on that as well. So I think networking is so key, especially when you're young and you, you have this influence because people do, especially in Spokane, you know this, in Spokane, people want to help Zags no matter what people are willing to try to help Zags out. How can they, how can they help us out? So I think for being Gonzaga player and being a, uh, a young guy that was able to network early, it, it, it's really important to kind of help those young guys see that, that road and, and they can venture off into their own world. Rob, that's uh, I really appreciate the time today on our Scoreville Live Washington Quarantine Series podcast. You're you're always a breath of fresh air because you bring so much positivity. You bring a lot of energy. You bring a lot of excitement to uh, whether it was a game, uh, whether it's a conversation. I know you're doing some good things right now on your own podcast. Um, before we jump off, can you share with anybody who's listening to our conversation how maybe they could uh, follow you in, in your podcast? Yeah. Um... I have a podcast with Jack Ferris, um, Believe in the Zags with Jack and Sack, and it's off of the Believe Network, um, B-L-E-A-V. Uh, and the, if you want to listen to some wild, we don't we don't take ourselves seriously. So if you guys want to listen to some jokes and laugh, please listen to us. So I greatly appreciate your time, Dan. And if you guys need anything else, just let me know. Awesome. Well, appreciate it, Rob. You uh, enjoy the rest of this nice day with your family and I'm sure we'll connect soon. I gotta go clean some gutters. <laughs> like fun. <laughs> <laughs>